Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. This Sunday is the focus on hope. I know that due to recent events in our community, a lot of people's hope has been really dented in a lot of ways. And so my prayer is, is that throughout this morning's service that the hope of God would deeply touch you. And what we've done throughout the entire Kingdom of God series is we have prayed the Lord's Prayer out loud together because the epicenter of the Lord's Prayer is this phrase, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Following Jesus is about seeing his kingdom come to earth. You know, there is no prayer in the Bible about people going to heaven. But the Lord's Prayer is about heaven coming here because we need it. So let's say the Lord's Prayer together and then you'll be seated. This then is how you should pray. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in Charlottesville as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You may be seated. Well, it's hard to believe, but it's the beginning of Christmas. It's the beginning of the Advent season, where as a church family, we come together around the birth stories of Jesus. I say this every year, but it's important for you to know. Every year, every pastor, every woman and man who's a pastor, and we have to preach through Christmas. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's not a lot in the Bible about the birth of Jesus. There just isn't. Only two of the four Gospels mention the nativity scene. Now, in the Western world, we behave as though Christmas is the most important holiday. Biblically, it's not. All four Gospels, up to half of the Gospel, focuses on Easter, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Only two Gospels mention the nativity, and the other two never even reference it. So what many of us like to say is Christmas is only half as important as Easter. It's only found in two of the four Gospels, but still important because it's there. Another way to put it is if Easter were not true, you'd have never heard of Christmas. You'd have never heard of it. Ultimately, the story is about the death, burial, and resurrection, about Easter, but Christmas is as important as well. Now, with that in mind, the two Gospels that mentioned the nativity, the birth of Jesus, are Matthew and Luke. And this is just for point of reference, but as you're reading them moving towards the Christmas season, and I pray that you will, here's something to know. The nativity story in the gospel of Matthew is through Joseph's eyes, and the gospel of Luke is through Mary's. Isn't that interesting? That in the gospel record of the story of the birth, one, we're going to look at Matthew, through Joseph's eyes, gospel of Luke is through Mary's. And if you want to talk about hope, let's start there. The inaugural story 
of Jesus coming into the world is written for both men and women. It's written for both very intentionally. Now, how many of you know, let me phrase it another way. How many of you have noticed that men and women have different perspectives? <laughs> you ever notice this? Um, I get the joy of performing weddings, officiating weddings. And it's really fun when you sit down with a couple and they come in to kind of get to know you time. And I say, well, how did you meet? You know what's fascinating to note is that oftentimes the man and the woman have a total different perspective. It's amazing to me. Now, some of the facts are somewhat similar, but the perspective is different. Let me give you an example. Fran and I met when we were in grad school. They had an opening picnic at grad school, and that's where we met. Do you know if you ask Fran that story, she will tell you what I was wearing? If you ask me what she was wearing in order to save my life, I have no clue. She can tell you the haircut I had, the shoes I was wearing, the shorts, the shirt, everything. You see, women and men just have different things, and it's not all men or all women, but you understand what I'm saying, different perspective. Now, what's interesting to note, though, is that in the gospel story about Luke focusing on Mary and Matthew focusing on the viewpoint of Joseph, there's one phrase that's identical. Now, they never contradict. Those stories never contradict. They complement, but there's one phrase that's identical. And the identical phrase is do not be afraid. If you get anything out of the birth story this morning that brings you hope, let's focus on that. Because what I do know is is that even in the story of God stepping into the world, God has to deal with and bring us into and in front of and through our fear. And I felt led by the Lord in preparing for this message to pause at this time and to pray over us as a church family. Because some of us are racked with fear. You can take any synonym you want, anxiety, whatever the case may be. But that holds you in place. God knew that in the story that was coming, he would have to leverage two people free of their fear. He knew that. And that's why it's the exact same in both stories. So let's pray. Let's go ahead and pray. God, we come to you as a God who understands that humankind is subject to fear. Lord, in this moment, we open up our hearts to you, and some of us are even afraid of doing that. But I pray in the present working of your spirit, we would open up our hearts by faith, and especially those of us women and men who struggle with fear. I pray in this moment, you would touch our hearts, and that fear would turn to hope. And God, it is true that some of us are facing things we would have never signed up for. But somehow, some way, we believe by faith that you're in the middle of that too. So God, meet us. Deliver us. 
and set us free because we need that. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25, Joseph accepts Jesus as his son. Let's read our story. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. That confuses some people. But what we know is in the cultural context in which Jesus was born, when you were engaged, it took a writ of divorce to call off the engagement. Reading on, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, and there's our phrase, let's say it out loud, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means, let's say it together, God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, as I've already confessed to you every year, all women and men who preach come to this story and, oh Lord, give me a new perspective. And this year, I kind of got a new perspective. In full confession, it hit me last night when I was on the phone with one of my very best friends. I've been blessed that there are four people in my life that I have done life with who are outside my family. We're exceptionally close. We know pretty much everything about each other. We do life together. Now, one of those, his name is Joseph Castleberry. Joseph Castleberry, I call him Joe. He's so close to us as a family. My son calls him Uncle Joe. That's how close he is. I met Joe Castleberry in 1987. I was moving towards being a chaplain at Princeton, and he was my predecessor, and we had a four-hour overlap. I was hired just before school opened. And so here we are, we're walking across campus together, and as we're walking across campus, he's giving me a speed tour, and then he handed me a manual he had put together, which was this thick. And he said, this will help you. And then we joined hands, we prayed, and he got on a plane to go to El Salvador to be a missionary. But in that four hours, we connected. And much to my surprise, he reached out to me from El Salvador and wanted to talk to me. What was interesting, he didn't just ask me about the ministry, he asked me about me. And believe it or not, through Joe, I learned how to be a friend. It's very fascinating. But last night, as we often do, we talk three to five times a week. I was on the phone with Joe, and he was so excited. He said, hey, Pete. He said, we just had the gender reveal of my youngest daughter's baby. We had a party. And I had been at the gender reveal of one of his other daughters. All three daughters married. This is his youngest one. 
And so what I, if this party was the same as the one that I was at, um, they get out these streamers, it's kind of like this tense moment, and then they go, boof, and you either see pink or blue shoot through the sky, and everyone cheers, yay. It's called a gender reveal. Have you ever been to one of these? Wow, am I the only one? <laughs> wow. By the way, in our, our family, we have three children. Now, I remember my wife was with child, and uh, she said, do you want to know? The, and I said, no. I want to do the self-inspection method. That's what I want to do. I want to just, I love surprises. How many of you would rather know than be surprised? How many of you would like to be surprised? All right, well, those of you who want to know are more in God's will than me, because here we have a gender reveal in the Bible. Can you imagine? Not only that, but the reason why Joe was so deeply moved was because his youngest daughter and her husband said, you know, Joe, they call him dad. You know, dad, we're naming him after your dad. His name's gonna be your dad's name. And Joe told me he just burst into tears. That he just, he said, Pete, I just cried. It was so moving and touching. Now listen, we're reading a story of a guy named Joseph and there's a gender reveal. He's gonna have a son. And the, the angel says, and here's his name. It's not named after his earthly father, but it's named after an Older Testament character by the name of Joshua. We're going to come to all of this in just a moment. But here's what I do know. I know that in the story that we just read and we're now going to think about for the next 10 minutes, that in that story, the church since the first century has gathered hope. It's the first day of Advent. They read that story, and somehow that story has always given us hope. And so how do we see Advent in hope in this story? Let's begin at the beginning of the story that we've already read, Matthew 1.18. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. And here's where the hope begins. That God in his wisdom chooses to partner with people to advance his kingdom in the world. That never ceases to amaze me. It's clear to me in the Older Testament that God has angels at his disposal. But in this story, God doesn't use angels in the sense of how he does it. He chooses people. How much hope is that? That God, when God does his ultimate action into the world that he has created, that's filled with dysfunction and chaos and brokenness, God steps into the world and uses people. He uses Mary, and he uses Joseph, and he partners with them. And not only does God partner with them, and not only God in his wisdom does he choose people, but the text teaches us that God in his infinite love for mankind chooses to become a person. Isn't that amazing? That God not only chooses Mary and Joseph to see his kingdom come and his will done in this world, but he chooses to become part of humankind. How much hope is in that? I mean, if you were God, let's, let's be honest now. 
If you were God, would you choose that? Look, the thing of it is, my wife and I chose to do life together. We've been married for 33 years. It's one of the best choices I ever made. Hopefully she'd see the same. But you know, as awesome as Fran is, and as awesome as I am, but as awesome as Fran is, she's not perfect. She isn't. But to think that God would look at a human being like a woman and a man and go, I wanna, I wanna do that through you. Just think about that. That blows my mind. Because God knows people as good as the best of people are. God knows we're broken, we're dysfunctional, we're chaotic, we're irrational. We take our, three, our free will and we bend away from God. We don't always bend towards God. It's just how it is. Yet God in his infinite wisdom, chooses to partner with two people. Not only that, in his infinite love, he chooses to become one of us. How much hope is there in that? But if you read the story, the text says to Joseph, you're going to have a son. You're going to have a son, and he will save his people from their sins. Now, there's something about that phrase that had to have filled Joseph with hope. I want to tell you why. Half of all children at the time of Jesus did not reach the age of two. The mortality, infant mortality rate was exceptionally high. And can you imagine Joseph and Mary getting this message? Your son's going to live to adulthood. Think about the hope in that. Do you catch that? This message is filled with hope. And yet, when we look at the story, suddenly we discover that as all the stories seem to be in the scriptures, whenever God partners with humankind, it tends to be messy. And Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, gives us the context for the birth story. Here it is. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. She was pregnant outside of marriage. It's very messy. Think about the story. And here's what I've come to say and come to believe, and it brings me so much hope, and I actually have it on the next slide so we can all catch it online or here in the sanctuary, that throughout the Bible, God's kingdom partnerships with people rarely, if ever, tells us a story that we would write. These Bible stories, especially those involving Jesus, are far more raw, unnerving, and messy than anyone would ever predict. Who would ever predict this story of God's action into the world? No one would. And if you did, you would write it very differently. And yet this one, right out of the gate, is messy. Joseph knows that Mary's with child. And yes, even in the ancient world, they did know where children came from. And he knew it wasn't him. And so he sat down as anyone would do. And he said, that's it. But notice what the text says. He was a righteous man and didn't want to bring her to public disgrace. So instead of publicly shaming her, he was going to divorce her quietly. I love this story, and it brings so much hope because it's messy from the beginning. It isn't this clean, airtight story. It's a human 
story. And human stories are incredibly messy. And if your life is messy, you're welcome. God knows. And his story is not separated from yours. Now, what the text tells us is that Joseph did not have the privilege of naming his own son. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 says, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name. What's his name? Christ is not his last name, just so you know. We'll get to that in a moment. But you are to name him Jesus because he will what? Wow. Question, why name him Jesus? Answer, he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, by the way, is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua, which means the Lord saves. Every time you met Jesus and he stuck out his hand, he would have said, my name is Yeshua. And you would have instantly thought, God saves. Instantly, that's, that's what his name means. And everyone knows it. And every Jew knows the Old Testament story of Joshua, Yeshua, this Old Testament character who had faith and led the people into God's blessing and into God's promised land. So when you met Jesus, he would have said, my name is Joshua, it's Yeshua. And you would have thought, God saves. It's just like me. My name is Peter. Do you know what Peter means in Greek? It means the rock. When you meet me and you look at me, don't you think of the rock? You know, the rock, by the way, lives in Charlottesville. He's got a house here. He's like six foot six and he can bench like 1,500 pounds or something crazy. When you look at him and you think, what? The, the rock, it makes sense. When you meet me, uh, it doesn't make sense. You're like, nah, not really. Maybe the runner. Um, maybe the guy who doesn't lift weights, that's what your name, no, my name is Peter, it means rock. And listen, in the Newer Testament, Jesus meets this guy named Simon who is erratic and unpredictable and he's not dependable and when Jesus meets him, he says, your name's gonna be Peter. You're gonna become the stable one. You will become in me a person you never dreamt you could be. And there's a lot of us that are sitting here that feel like that. We feel like God will never partner with me. Do you see how unreliable and erratic and unpredictable, how moody I am? And God says, no, 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 no. Those are the people I build my kingdom on. And if you will let me come into your life, I will take you and make you the stable one, the one on which people will come to trust and rely. It's amazing to me what God does, how much hope there is. And this story about Jesus stepping into our world is a story of hope. But notice what it says. You're going to name him Jesus because he will what? He will save his people from their sins. Not those heathen Romans not those people over there who are so sinful. No, the text says he's coming to save all the good people. The people of Jesus' faith, the Jewish people that follow 613 laws and they get up in the morning and go, I'm gonna do this right. If you're looking for good people, there's a couple, probably million of them at the time of Jesus. They're good people. And God says, oh, no, no, it's not being about good. The issue is sin. And everyone who's got sin has a problem. And the problem's highly infectious. 
And it doesn't say he's coming to save you from the Romans. It does not say that he's going to come and save his people from injustice, as important as that is. It says he will come and save them from the common human malady of sin. It's where we have chosen to go away from God's best and the imprint of that is on our souls and we can do nothing about it. A moral shower, self-talk, pumping yourself up, nothing helps with that. And so God says, I see the real issue and I'm gonna come and deal with that in my son. You see, from the outset, there's hope for the most sinful of us. There's hope. And then the text says, Matthew 1, 23, they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. That humankind will always have hope. They will never again have to worry about, does God with me? And does he know me? How do I put feet to my faith with this? Here's our parting thought from scripture. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Take Mary home as your wife. I want to read that phrase again. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Take Mary home as your wife. God knows his name. He knows his name. How many of you struggle with names? Let me be totally honest. How many of you, look, let me reframe this. My wife, Fran, knows so many people's names. And so, please, as your pastor, give me a lot of grace. But when people are walking towards me, and if I see that, I'll go like this. <clears throat> what's their name? <laughs> Anyone else ever do that? Like, Fran, what's their name? And she'll go, oh, their name is so-and-so. And so when they walk up, I'm going, hey, Joe, great to see you. Oh, man, it's great. I couldn't remember your name to save my life. But God knows your name. He does. And I love what happens. There's so much hope in this. God comes down to Joseph, and we know so little about him. Because in the end, it doesn't matter. God chose him, and he knew his name. And God knew Joseph in the sense of knowing his name, and he comes to Joseph, and remember this, he asks him to do a very difficult thing, take her home to be your wife. The public shame of this is going to become overwhelming. His wife's pregnant. Actually, his fiance's pregnant. And the angel says, take her home anyway. I think many of us here in the midst of something you'd have never signed up for. You're faced with things in life that you would have never chosen. Don't for a moment think because they're messy and hard, God's not with you. In fact, I beg to differ. If life is easy, you don't need them. But when life gets difficult and chaotic and dysfunctional, that's when we need them. And that's the world into which Jesus came. It's the world into which God chose to birth his son. And so if you're up against a mountain, just know that God's with you. If it's difficult, lean into him. He knows your name. And my gut is if it's difficult, God's called you to be there. He's put you there. So fear not. And know that God has stepped into this world in Emmanuel. God's with you. Would you stand with me as we close? As we stand together, 
Let's take a moment and close our eyes in God's presence before we conclude our service with worship and the pastoral blessing. If you're comfortable doing this, if you're not, that's fine, but if you're comfortable doing this, just kind of lift your hands out in front of you as a sign of humility and receptivity before the Lord. Fear not. Emmanuel, God is with us. And you shall call him Jesus. You shall call him Joshua, which means God saves. And he has come to save good people from their sins. God, touch us with your hope. Amen.